Guy here with a quick message before we get on with the pod. As a thank you to our most dedicated and loyal viewers and listeners to Blood Red, we're inviting you to join our Blood Red club. By joining, you'll get access to insider transfer content as well as interviews with former favourites and those connected at Anfield. All you need to do is head to bloodredpodcast.co.uk, enter your email address and our exclusive content will head to your inbox. That's bloodredpodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Now on with the show. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how's things, mate? Yeah, very good, thanks, mate. I... Um... I'm just smiling to myself at the intro with Guy Clark. <laughs> <laughs> what a character. Um, but yeah. To be honest, I, I tried to press on myself. He's a jolly, happy guy, isn't he? Yeah, no, he's a, he is genuinely a great guy. Um, so listen to what he's telling you to do. But yeah, anyway, me personally, I'm okay, mate. I'm doing well. Um, I assume you are too. I'm doing better than last night, yes. I'm, I'm glad that the uh, the transfer window was closed, to be honest. We are recording the morning after, basically. So it feels very fresh, all the deals that have been done or not been done, in Liverpool's case. Um, so, yeah, we've got a, quite a bit to get through today. Uh, we're going to go through the Chelsea game, obviously, and we're going to talk about the, the news around Michael Edwards. Um, and we're going to look at the transfer window from a Liverpool perspective and also just in general as well. I talk about some of our rivals, some deals that we like maybe. So quite a varied show, plenty to get through today despite the fact that it, we are experiencing an international break now. So yeah, decent show ahead of us, Dave. Uh, but we'll start first things first with Chelsea. Um, and I'm going to start on a positive note. I'm pretty sure I said 1-1. <laughs> mm. um, but to be honest it didn't go anywhere near how I expected the one one to go I certainly didn't think one team would play for the 45 minutes with 10 men but um, yeah thoughts on the game mate yeah um, from a neutral point of view I think it kill- obviously the red card kills a game it always does um, you know we- go on should we go first half then Thoughts on yeah. first half? We'll go there. Yeah. Well, I was just about to say, I think first half, it was quite an even contest, in my opinion. I was actually quite impressed with how Chelsea handles the Liverpool atmosphere and, and pressure, uh, the things that you expect in a big game in Anfield. Um, I know there was a little bit of, of an onslaught, you know, those first 15 minutes or so, but I thought he dealt with it quite well. I think if you have a look at the kind of the XG timing chart, Josh, it does show, doesn't it, that there was little between the sides, really, in terms of chances created in, in the first half up until the penalty. Um, I have to say, you know, taking nothing away from, from Chelsea's goal, uh, but I thought it was probably a little bit fortunate. Um, my my opinion is Havert is going, that set-piece routine is meant to be a flick-on, in my opinion, um, and he's kind of looped into the into an area you probably never would expect it to go in. Uh, it was a perfect storm, really, in that he's kind of flicked it, it's looped over Alisson and into a probably, you know, we asked him to do that, you know, 10 times. I don't think he could repeat it. Uh, really tough technique. He got loads of credit for it, but I think, in my opinion, the set piece was meant to be a flick on. So 
fortunate to take the lead in that sense. But to answer your question, Josh, first half was it was a, a very intriguing, uh, even contest. Yeah, I'm glad you was the one who said that about the flick on thing because I I thought the same. I thought it was because there, there was players arriving at the back stick. To be mm-hmm. fair, so it might have got put in anyway. Um, and it was an extremely good flick on. I'll give him that. Um, but it, 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 the ball couldn't have bounced in a more perfect part of the net. He scored. You know, Allison could not reach it. I think the ball bounces for the first time right as it hits the corner of the the net. Um. So it's one of them that's just, it's, I suppose it shows the value of, of set pieces really in a way. You know, we talk about set pieces a fair amount on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And in massive games like that, potential title deciding games that like we, we could look at in a couple of months' time when it gets to the business end of the season. When you've got two top quality teams there, two top quality defences, kind of both of the goals really stem from corner kicks. Uh, I think Liverpool's was a corner kick, and obviously the the aftermath, the big goal mouth scramble and things, and chaos ensues. But yeah, both goals kind of uh, around set piece moves. Chelsea did look premeditated and they executed it fairly well. But I think in terms of the the general play, I think I think it was quite it was a good game. It was a good game to watch. Two two high standard sides. I was I was impressed and. Uh, encouraged by the way Liverpool played because you know we haven't seen a full strength Liverpool play in a competitive match for quite a while now. This was that, and you could argue Liverpool weren't really full strength considering you know Van Dijk is still firmly getting his fitness back, Andy Robertson first game back, um, and then the midfield was a, a, a little bit well, not light, but Harvey Elliott was playing, which I was a little bit surprised by. Um, so yeah, I thought Liverpool generally first half, in my opinion, were probably the better team, uh, the more forward team, the more proactive team. I thought they dominated proceedings a bit more, but then again, Chelsea of the obvious quality that Chelsea have, you can't dominate a team like that. They're mm. so good, so good individually as well that they will get out at times. They got out a few times, so Liverpool generally coped fairly well with it. But for, I think from what I would get from it, the first half at least. Is those are two firm title contenders without a doubt. Um, two top quality sides there that can go all the way in England and in a Champions League as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think could probably add that idea of Liverpool anyway. I think if you're looking at it from a Chelsea point of view, especially with how things panned out across the full 90, that was a big test and they, they kind of stood up. And now Liverpool do have to genuinely... Because I think what we were saying at the start of the season, weren't we, that um, Chelsea definitely improved, would be a good side, probably wouldn't um, win the title, uh, which means we obviously assume that they'd be a level below, you know, like a City, for example, up there at Liverpool. But I, I think early indications suggest they will be right up there. Um and, you know, this was a, not only if they started really well, but then they have a, a really big test here. Uh, two tests, really. The first is obviously just a, an outright kind of competition between two really good sides where they, they, they do well. Uh, and then the second is obviously what happens in the second half and still coming away with something. So, yeah, I think Liverpool now after will if they weren't already, they'll be aware that Chelsea are going to be a rival for pretty much the entirety of, of the season. Yeah, I mean, we'll touch on the numbers of the game, but they, they feel pretty pointless, really, considering mm. how 
you know the context that you need to apply to these. But the expected goals on the day was was two point seven for Liverpool, and just zero point eight for Chelsea. And Liverpool took twenty three shots, and Chelsea took six. Now, before the game, I would have took, taken that, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then you have to factor in Liverpool's two point seven expected goals. That includes a penalty, and that includes whatever shots materialised from a goal-mouth scramble, and quite a few of those shots were from inches out. So, you know, that's that's probably a fair portion of the XG there and around that. I think second half, which we'll go into in a sec, Liverpool generates a fair amount of shots, but nothing really. I thought personally, where you'd where you'd where you'd be like. That should find a net, or that play should that play should be reasonably expected to score. Um, but before we move into the second half, just I know we speak about the most weeks now, but thoughts on Elliot again, Dave? Because I, I I'll be honest, I I was surprised he started, despite how good he was last week, and how good he is. I thought Klopp would would opt against it in this one just because of the standard of the opponent. But he came in, and I I thought he was again. Pretty great. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I can see what, you, what you're saying because he kind of did that with the, the front three, didn't he? Obviously, he's gone with Jota first two games and then brings Firmino back in. Um, so, reverting to kind of to maybe not his best 11 anymore, but certainly a more trusted 11 in, in these bigger games. Uh, but it, go, it really goes back to what we were saying last week and maybe even a week before that Elliot's kind of important to this side is is really growing. Uh, he's no longer kind of a token inclusion, getting minutes in, in, in a young player, a prospect. It feels like he's he's actually really important for what Liverpool want to do this season. Um, he played well again. He seems to handle the, uh, the magnitude of the occasion uh, really well. You know, this was a big test for him. He, he, he did a good job. So, you know, we were talking about maybe what 1200, 1500 minutes this season, but based on what we've seen so far, um, it looks like, more, yeah. yeah, it could be more, providing he stays uh, fit and well, of course. One thing I found interesting about it was, um, because of his position in the midfield, it, he his inclusion kind of moved Henderson away from where Henderson would usually play. Henderson played on the left of the midfield three, and he he hasn't played there much at all. He's either as the six or on the right side of a midfield three. Obviously, a lot of that's been because of Wijnaldum. Hmm. But Henderson, for me, prefers that side, probably suits that side more. I didn't think he was entirely at home on the left. Maybe that's a dynamic to address moving forward. I'm not sure how Klopp will get around that. If he wants to keep playing Fabinho, which, which he obviously will, and Elliot's going to keep getting minutes and Henderson's going to keep getting minutes. Maybe Henderson just keeps getting played on the left and maybe he'll get more comfortable with it. But he strikes me as a player who would want the right. Elliot would want the right. I think Naby would want the left. I think he's suited over there. Oxley Chamberlain, I think, would also want the right. So in terms of the left side of the ball with the midfield, you probably haven't got as many players. Mind you, Thiago will probably play over there as well. So mm. not too much of a problem. But yeah, I wanted to flag Elliot because I thought, you know, I think it was a big star for him, big trust of faith to put in to put on his shoulders from Klopp um, and I think that little right side of dynamic is something that's really developing it looks like they've been playing together for years to be honest the way the, the way that that trio are doing it in terms of Trent Elliot and Salah 
and obviously you've got, we touched on it last week, but you've got three almost equal threats there in terms of you don't want any of them on the ball for an extended period of time. So you've got to press all three of them. That usually results in one of them being free and that person can can cause problems. So, yeah, I want to keep an eye on moving forward. But then, second half, Dave, obviously things changed. Yeah, look, I'll be honest, that at half-time, I, uh, I expected Liverpool to go on and win it. Um, yeah, there was just... a lot of... Yeah, a lot of similarities with the game at Stamford Bridge last season. Um, because I'm pretty sure there was a red card in and around. Maybe not half-time, but I think it was still in the first half. Was it Thiago Silva? I think it was Christensen. Oh, Christensen, um, okay. Yeah, but I think Thiago Silva went off injured in the same game, maybe. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, well, either way, someone goes off and Liverpool managed the game really well on that day. Um and I think this time they still obviously did because they would have created a lot of chances. Maybe not really clear cut, but they were obviously dominating territory. Um, the only thing I thought, Josh, and I was thinking back to that game at the time, and I'm keen to know what you think on this. I just wonder whether Thiago would have maybe been a better early substitution um, because of, if you remember, I think that was his debut. The, the, the game I'm referencing and he come on and he become just this kind of perfect pivot to pin a side in just spraying the ball left right left right pinning them in having that threat you know kind of in between the lines as well when gaps opened and I just I, I thought right okay we're probably going to see him quite early into the second half here and he could be key to picking the lock but uh didn't come till late did it and I don't know maybe the window window pass maybe maybe it was because Klopp already had to make changes because like for me you know coming off injured and things um, but just something I, I picked up on and wondered whether you agree or you thought it was it was probably best to bring him on when he did well I actually think looking at the game and the way Liverpool behaved particularly in the second half I actually felt Klopp um Kept his cards close to his chest. I I felt I felt he he didn't at any point really go for go for the win, and I, I understand why because you know it's it is early days in the season. We don't yet know um, where we're going to stand. I suppose in March and things like that. When it gets to that stage of the season, um, it's definitely better to draw the game than to lose this early, especially when when you're competing at home. And I think Chelsea. Obviously, offered a big threat on the break, which Klopp was mindful of. But yeah, it just felt like, you know, when when we came out for the second half, it, it felt like the team talk had largely involved keep your heads, keep the ball, stay calm, don't force it. And I feel like the way we played didn't play into the fans at all. It kept the fans quiet. The way Liverpool approached it, I felt. Um, obviously, wasted quite a while to bring Thiago on. Thiago eventually came on for Henderson. Um, but I think maybe if Klopp was going to go for it, maybe he would have took Henderson off earlier, or maybe because of Henderson's status in the squad, the club captain and stuff, maybe Henderson's just not the type of player that you would sub at half-time. Um, and you're not going to take Elliot off because Elliot's a threat, which you're going to need to break down a block, and Elliot was playing well. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, and I do think in terms of bringing Thiago on, yeah, I think if it fits maybe with the theme that Klopp obviously wanted a win, but I think he was more satisfied with a draw than than usual. But from in my opinion, 
in any side at Anfield. Don't care who the side is. If they go down to 10 men with half the game left, Liverpool have to win. You know, yeah. there's no two ways about that, really. And obviously, I there's agree. reasons behind why he didn't, but that has to be the mindset, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Because now you look at the game and you think pre kick off 1 1. Yeah, you take it. Um, although you'd like to win, you do take it, uh, all things considered. But, you know, the, the dynamic switched very quickly after the red card. Um, and it, it happened at a perfect time, really, just before you go in. At half time to have your team talk, you know, adjust tactics, etc. It was really a gift. To be to be fair though, on that, I think it also happened at a perfect time, probably for Chelsea, because it gave Tuchel an immediate chance to gather his players and basically have fifteen minutes to sort a game plan. How we're going to hang on to this? How we're going to keep posing the threat and stuff? And obviously, Tuchel's very good on the tactical side of the game, so. Yeah, it's but but you know it seemed to benefit Chelsea more than Liverpool. The um, the break Liverpool came out quieter. I felt more controlled, more balanced, less attacking, and Chelsea came out with kind of a you know that the it felt like they channeled the anger from the end of the first half. It felt like they channeled that towards we're gonna hang on to this, we're gonna hold something, we're gonna leave this place with at least a point. And uh, obviously they did it through um, what was, I'll be honest, a very difficult block to to break through. I thought Tuchel made good good substitutions. He brought on Thiago Silva. Um, and when you're against a block that is already very low and staying pretty low for the whole game, or for the whole second half at least, um, and, and that block consists of players like Rudiger, who's good in the air, and two real leaders in Thiago Silva and Aspilicueta. That's just a very well-drilled defensive line. Um, and you will do well to break through that, I think, in, in, in any side, really. Um, it takes me back to that quote I think Mourinho said a while back about his Inter Milan team. He said because of the players that he had in his defence, um, I can't remember who it was, like Walter Samuel and Lucio and... Uh, just players like that, he said you can play for five hours in a low block, you won't concede. Um, so I think there was a little bit of that in there. So although I think the emphasis should have, was on Liverpool to break through, I do think we have to give credit to how how good of a unit and how good of a backline Chelsea were on the day. Yeah, well, we said last week in the preview show that not necessarily the best defenders in the Premier League, whilst very good, just, you know, maybe not the best individuals, but, you know, I, I pulled the numbers up, didn't I? The, I think twice since Tuchel, obviously it's, it's three times now, but, you know, going into the game twice since Tuchel come in, um, only twice that he conceded over an XG of one, um, which is quite remarkable, really. Um so it was always going to be difficult. It was always going to be organised. Klopp talked about it after the game. He said, when the, when you're basically facing 10 men in the penalty area, it's hard to score goals. I accept all that. I do. I'm just saying it's it it, 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 it felt like a little bit of a a perfect opportunity to go and get three points instead of one. Um, and I think that's going to be the frustration from a Liverpool point of view. Yeah. I mean, come the end of the season, it it could be what what decides it really, couldn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. a few years back, Liverpool finished second, and I think it was ninety seven points behind, obviously Manchester City. And what what delivered the title 
was was the head to head between the two teams. I don't think mm-hmm. Liverpool beat City either of the two occasions. I think City beat Liverpool at uh, the Etihad. Aguero and Leo Sane, I think, scored. Mm-hmm. And that was obviously what tipped it. That was what delivered the title. I mean, I suppose you could look at the whole season like that, really, couldn't you? I mean, it's no one moment really tips the title, but mm-hmm. it, this could be the type of game that you do look back on and think we had 45 minutes against one fewer man there and we didn't get the win. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, before we move on, I, I, I did want to flag Firmino. I thought Firmino played well. And I remember reading a piece... Uh, or a stat or something, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was along the lines of, it was a different type of analysis because it was looking at off-the-ball movements, off-the-ball runs, so maybe it was involved in tracking data or something. But I think Firmino, by some distance, was the the keenest in... If it went to Premier League, it was certainly Liverpool, it was, it was, but it, was, it looked like quite a big sample from what I can remember. And it looked like just in terms of off-the-ball runs and stuff, which disorganised the defence. Firmino was the most active in the league. Um, and you faced against 10 men for 45 minutes trying to play down the block. I thought Firmino, although he's not labelled as a clinical goal scorer or anything like that, I think Firmino would have helped a lot in terms of like disorganising Chelsea's back line just by his movement. I think his movement's one of his best qualities. Mm. And obviously if Firmino w- would have stayed fit, for the whole of the game, Liverpool might have been able to bring on Jota and keep Firmino and the other two on the field, go for a four, uh, from four. Um, so, yeah, no complaints because obviously Chelsea's over the sending off, not us. But I just think if, if Firmino would have played the whole game, maybe Liverpool would have found a way through. Yeah, could have. It's, uh, it's really hard to say, isn't it? I think the theory that you're working on does make sense. Um I think it's really unfortunate for, for, for me to come off because uh, I feel like he's got a little bit of a point to prove at the moment. You know, didn't start the first two games, starts that game, doesn't even get to last the first 45 minutes. And uh, I think his position's not as secure as it once was. So felt like it was a big start, big game for him to kind of, um, again, prove why he's, you know, the, should be the starting number nine. He was a little bit unlucky and he's gone off injured. So he'll... Um, He'll have to try and bounce back from it, and hopefully, he won't be out too long, and and he gets the opportunity to do that. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Michael Edwards, Steve, mm-hmm. uh, was you surprised? Yeah, I didn't see that coming at all, to be honest. Um, I I didn't. For those listening that aren't aware, um, a few days ago, some news came out that Michael Edwards. I suppose in search of a new challenge is probably maybe the best way of putting it. He's been at Liverpool, not necessarily as a director of football, which he is now, but at the club in an analysis-type role for, for over a decade now, I think. Hmm. So it, it just, you know, news came out that he's in search of a new challenge. He might leave at the end of the season. That type of stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I was surprised, mate. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I can see the um, the logic in terms of freshening things up, um, but I don't know. It just—I was just surprised by it. You normally hear you normally hear this stuff kind of bubbling, and and you know you get a bit of a an idea that it might be on the horizon, but there was no indication. Uh, and then sometimes you kind of then start looking at other things and thinking, you know, could there be reasons why? Um, you know. <laughs> 
I won't go, I won't, I won't speculate at the moment. Uh, but you know, could the be you just don't know. Um, it, but it might just be that he, he wants something new. Um, he might think that is uh, Liverpool themselves could benefit from fresh ideas, and maybe they will. But in terms of the way he's done at the club, you know, he's been on the whole a very, a very big success. You know, we look at the players he's brought in. Um, I think ironically, maybe maybe about fifty six percent have been successes in terms of what they've done to the side. But the ones who you could argue maybe haven't have also ironically been a lot of the low gambles. You know, the players that didn't cost a lot of money, the kind of slankies and play those kind of players, carriers. And if you talk about Solanke, you then go and sell them for big profit. So you know, it's been a. It feels like a, a lot of things he's touched, even if it hasn't gone directly to plan, has ended up being pretty beneficial for Liverpool. So. Whoever takes over, have uh, have big big shoes to fill, don't they? They do, yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned there why he might be leaving and stuff like that. I, I think it, I think there might also be an element in there of he, he feels like he's he's completed it maybe. Um, in terms of you know the challenge that was ahead of him when it when he he became Liverpool sporting director, they have since conquered everything really. You know the world champions, European champions, Premier League champions, so. You know, once you kind of achieve those goals, you, you have done it. And I suppose there's an element of, like, build the next squad, do it again. But some people, you know, if, 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 you, if you've done it, what's next? What's the next challenge? And so I, I will understand that to an extent, like. Um, but what you've just said, when it comes to this chat, one thing that's hard is it's it's really difficult to, to know how good Edwards is as an individual. Because... Well, A, he, he, he stays out the spotlight completely. You know, he doesn't want to know about, you know, publicity and all that sort of stuff. And B, you know, his appointment coincided with the appointments of Jürgen Klopp. There is a, a structure in place around them that is just extremely refined. Decision-making is, is very refined. Lots of leaders, le- leadership departments, leadership groups coming together to make you know, one really healthy decision, if you like. Um, Liverpool are obviously data-driven, but John Henry's been data-driven since day one. Um, you know, Liverpool have their own analytics departments, uh, directors of research and stuff like that. So it is really difficult to look at Liverpool's structure and and um, associate certain transfers or certain moves or whatever with, with one person. It, it, it's always felt like a... A collective contribution, if you know what I mean. So, although Edwards feels like a massive loss, and I'm sure he will be, it's it's difficult to say how much of a loss he'll be because because of the, the support he gets around him and 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 the you know the the, the unity behind the scenes sort of thing to make decisions. Yeah, and I agree to an extent that the the only issue I I have, and it is really hard because, as you said, we we we're not privy, are we? We don't know how much is down to him and how much is down to this infrastructure that you talk about. But you do find when the when the when the head, so to speak, goes that dynamics, no matter where it is, whether it's an office environment or you know team work, whatever, people be able to relate this and then at home, I'm sure, but. You do find the dynamic will change a little bit, uh, and it's just how that changes and whether it'll be positive or negative. Because it shouldn't, you know. Ideally, that infrastructure you talk talk about, if that's already in place, then it should kind of just 
sustain and maintain shouldn't it really no matter who comes in and do the same things that have been successful and from a Liverpool point of view hopefully that's going to be the case um but you don't know if I mean do we we don't know who's going to take over yet do we well Julian Ward who who was Liverpool's loan manager Mm. I think has been or was fairly recently appointed to assistant sporting director Mm. and at the time I thought that was a weird appointment to be honest it's a weird type of job roller so i am inclined to think liverpool will replace edwards with, with ward and kind of make it an internal succession plan which i like mm. to be honest i do like that sort of thing um and i suppose it offers an insight as well into maybe what will happen with, with klopp you know because mm. linders has been touted you know whispers of he's the heir to the throne sort of thing and liverpool do seem to show that since they've kind of established themselves as a really well-run club, it, it has been internal solutions to, to job roles, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, that's purely speculation. But in terms of in terms of Edwards, yeah, it's. I mean, we, we know he's very numbers-driven. It's almost certainly more numbers-driven than the typical director of football, I would assume. Very data-driven. Um, clashed a few years back with Brendan Rodgers, for example, because Brendan Rodgers had the perspective that he should have a fair influence over the squad, over signings, managers should be making the plays and all that type of stuff. And he was conflicting. I think Rodgers has since changed because since he's left, he's looked at the recruitment Edwards has kind of led um, as, as the forefront. And Liverpool have have assembled arguably the best squad, the best, well, certainly best first eleven um, in the Premier League over the past few years. I think Rodgers has kind of looked at that now and, and kind of learned. Um, but yeah, from from an Edwards perspective, I, I think what, what I'm getting at is it's just it, it is difficult to to um, to determine what what Liverpool will miss without him compared to if everything else was to stay in place. I've got a question for you. Do you um, know we're trying to speculate what happens next, whether it will be that in kind of uh, internal promotion uh, and continuing where, where it's being left off? Do you think anything could change if, uh, obviously, we've just finished the transfer window that we'll come on to where very little happens, Liverpool-wise. You'll then have the Janu- January window, which, again, is a little bit of a tricky one. So, say... Not much in terms of big incomings coming between now and the end of this season. And Liverpool have a... I mean, for me, I can't see Liverpool not finishing top four. So, say worst-case scenario, Liverpool finish top four, but no silverware. Um, bit of a... By their lofty standards now, a bit of a kind of beige season. Do you think everything continues as it has been? Or does it... Does some, do, the, do the club look at it and think... do? Do we need to do something different now? Do we need to reinvent how we're doing things? And and that could lead to a, a different kind of appointment in that role. A different way of doing things in terms of... I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, how, whatever. Again, we're just speculating, just, just chatting here. But whatever Edwards and co have been doing at Liverpool for, the, for you know, for the last few years, is, you know, does the approach change ever so slightly? Uh, does... And, by doing so, does instead of it being this kind of internal appointments and kind of reusing the same ideas that have got Liverpool to what they were doing a season or two ago, 
do do they look for someone who's maybe a little bit different, a, a little a, a bit of a different perception on things, and 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 you know, a, a shake up, I guess, a shake up in in how to proceed. I don't know. Yeah, I think one issue Liverpool have got here that I'm not sure is is being focused on enough uh, by supporters and things is when Liverpool rose to this dominant force and they went and delivered 97 points and then 98 points and a Premier League title and a Champions League and stuff. If you, if you look at Liverpool's rivals at the time, Liverpool were able to get ahead because our rivals basically weren't that smart at the time. Um, and if you look at their squads, you know, Chelsea were getting managed by Frank Lampard. They had transfer window bands. Man United were, were finding a feet all over the place. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was taking the reins, who has only really taken charge of Cardiff in, in Europe's top five leagues. So, it, Liverpool were able to get ahead. Basically, the only team that they couldn't really step ahead from, too much at least, was, was Manchester City. And that was because throughout, Manchester City didn't really take the foot off the gas that much. They've always retained a degree of football and intelligence throughout the, the, the years, basically. One, one issue Liverpool have got now, I think Liverpool are largely trying to do the same thing that got them to where they were, to where they arrived when they were champions of Europe and stuff. But just one issue now is your your wealthier rivals are just smarter. Yeah. And they're just doing better business than they were. So them them gains Liverpool were, were getting in the transfer market, re- recruitments, just recruiting better than their rivals, making fewer mistakes than their rivals. Liverpool's rivals are just uh, clicking on, almost, yeah. and they're learning from the mistakes. You know, Man United are, are recruiting far better under Solskjaer than, than they did beforehand. They're not rushing moves. They're only getting players in that are going to improve them. You know, last year, they needed a centre-back. They didn't get one. This year, they get Varane. Last year, they needed a right-sided forward, or certainly some sort of forward. Didn't get one. This year, they get Sancho. Chelsea... They've got a very, very good squad. What did they need? Arguably a prominent nine. So they're going to get one player, but spend 100 million on Lukaku. Man City, you know, one player, Jack Grealish, 100 million. So our rivals aren't making the mistakes that they did, that, that they were. Um, and I think as a result, maybe not now, because I think Liverpool's squad is still, Liverpool's first 11, in my opinion, is still the best in the league, I think. Um, although it's very close. <laughs> it's closer than it was. But over the years, as, as the, the players get older and Liverpool will have to regenerate this squad and stuff, it just might be harder to get the gains that we did last season, season before, season before. Because our rivals are, are just more switched on now to, to what where they were going wrong and things. So, Although you have to look at Liverpool, you have to look at yourself. When it comes to winning trophies, silverware, there's such fine margins and things that it's it, it's going to be hard, especially if your opponents have, are more wealthy than you, but they're, make, they're, they're making better decisions now. Mm, yeah, and I guess, you know, that really was the point I was trying to make. And I'm not saying that the solution is, oh, you just have to spend 100 million every window. I mean, it might be, but hopefully there's more than, you know, there's more, a more efficient way to do it. But um i do think it, it, it the environment is a little bit tougher um and 
it could be tougher again at the end of this year, uh, especially without a hugely successful campaign. And now I still think, uh, you you mentioned it just then, I'd have to agree, I still think Liverpool have got a team to to go and compete and win things for sure. Uh, but, I said, you know, it's just going to be really interesting, isn't it? I think uh, his departure has come at a really interesting time uh, and it will be interesting to see how Liverpool kind of move forward and, and how they approach future markets. Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I mean, we, we might as well use this as the segue to the, the transfer window chat. Um, as, it, as it stands right now, there's nobody outside my house with pitchforks, so we, we, should <laughs> <be able to, laughs> we should be able to speak fairly comfortably, no, no, no interruptions or anything like that. I'm sure that won't be the case in the comments section. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> just Thoughts on on Liverpool's business, Dave. What, what, how are we looking at this? Yeah, it's it's really hard to summarise actually because I've actually uh, bounced from different sides on the on the matter. Um, I mean, it, it, I'll tell you what I initially thought. I thought the business early on with Canati was good, and that I imagined was going to set the tone. I expected at least one more marquee signing. Uh, felt a fo- another forward or maybe a right back, something like that was required. I know it's difficult because Liverpool have specific profiles that work in the team. I get it, but I still expected it. Didn't really come, and then I thought, okay, well, maybe it's just about getting one of those shrewd acquisitions that Liverpool have a track record, you know, like a like a Shakiri type character who will come in and can maybe deliver, get, add six goals across the season or something to you to you return off the bench. That didn't happen either, and. I can, to be honest, Josh, I can see why fans are frustrated. I get it because you do kind of look at the right, the right. Well, we just had the conversation, and we look at rivals and think they have really improved. Now, there's still holes in their team. United didn't get their midfielder. City didn't get their big centre forwards. You know, there's still holes in those sides, but they look stronger. And Liverpool, except for obviously Canate, you, you think are pretty much the same as what they were. Then um, could that come back to bite them? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult one. This, um, I think for me, Liverpool, uh, what one player short of where I think, or of where I would like them to be. That that that's probably my way of putting it. Mm-hmm. I said a few a few months back when we were doing the recruitment thing, the recruitment show. It was, you know, I, I was like, what type of players Liverpool going to buy? How are Liverpool going to? Because you can't just say Liverpool want to get a forward. Because what what type of forward do you mean? Do you mean a number ten? Do you mean a right sided player? A number nine? Do you want a number? Do you, do you want a, a number eight? So you can also play as number ten. Um, and I think throughout pre-season and based on the early stages of of this Premier League season, I think Harvey Ellis has shown enough to be deemed as a more than capable replacement for Shakiri, in my opinion. Shakiri last season was used as a Salah backup and as a number eight sometimes when Liverpool wants to go a bit more attacking in, in midfield. Harvey Elliott's certainly capable of playing like that for me. And he's English, he's homegrown, we don't have to pay any money for him in terms of transfer fees or whatever. So I think it makes absolute sense to use Elliott like that. Um I just think that, and I also think, when it comes to Wijnaldum, I have thoughts on this because everybody thinks that Liverpool needs to get a Wijnaldum replacement in or whatever. 
I've said for a long time, I think Thiago was deemed by the club as the one album replacement. The difference is we got Thiago in 12 months before Wijnaldum left. When we got Thiago in, we didn't need a midfielder, but we added another midfielder. We did, we needed a centre-half. But I think Liverpool would have looked at it and thought, right, we need a centre-half, and next summer we're going to need a midfielder because Wijnaldum's leaving. But hang on, we can get Thiago this summer and we can get Canate next summer. So we'll just swap the years round. So I think they got Thiago in a year earlier than he needed them. And I think they got Canate in a year later than he needed them. That's my view on how they've done it. Um, obviously, in the meantime, Liverpool thought they would be able to get by with Matip Gomez, Van Dijk and Fabinho at centre-half. Obviously, it didn't work out. Liverpool got stung. That was a risk that Liverpool deemed worth taking. It ended up biting them. Um, so I don't think Liverpool are, are short in midfield. I think Liverpool are fine. I think Liverpool have got, compared to what we had when he won the title, we've lost Wijnaldum, but we've added Thiago. We now have Harvey Elliott and we have Kezis Jones. So I think the midfield's okay. I, I do. I don't think we have a presence like Wijnaldum who is going to be available every single week, which some people would argue you need or you want or whatever, which you know I agree with. But I think Liverpool's main void is in attack where you will get to a point maybe where you have to field Origi or Minamino. And those players aren't good enough for Liverpool. Um, certainly based on the evidence that they've shown on the pitch. So that's my biggest thing. I thought Liverpool needed a forward. What type of forward? I don't even know, to be honest. Because I think mm. Liverpool could possibly get a nine. Now, mm. um, not sure what nine. What type of nine? Liverpool probably need... A player behind Salah, but then Salah's available every week without fail. Um, so do you see what I'm saying, though? Like, yeah, that's how yeah. I view how Liverpool have managed the squad. People, people look at windows and isolation, and you know we haven't replaced Wayne Allen, but I think Liverpool do. You know, Liverpool they do. Liverpool do clever little things around squad building to just find solutions that other clubs maybe wouldn't think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my view on what, what Liverpool have done. Yeah. I think I agree. I think what the where, where, where the irritation births from is what do we say on here? We talk about you know you you've said it a few times. You know Liverpool being one of the big boys. You know top of the food chain, etc. Um, you know that's what they've done over the last few years. They climb back to that position. And I think there's just there'll be an irritation that in that position now it's kind of like. Okay, well, we've got X player who can fill in as X player, and we've got this player who you know we promoted to first team regular now, so we can fill that gap and this gap. Just kind of like fixing positions uh, with what you've already got, rather than going out and just improving them with pure quality, which it feels like the likes of Chelsea have done, uh, City have done in parts. You know, they've got multiple options, but elite options, not just. You know, not just like there's been loads of talk on Liverpool Twitter about depth charts, hasn't there? And people have done their own little versions. And you know, there's Liverpool have maybe two or three players for each position, but in terms of Premier League winning quality, it's not quite there in some areas. And I think that's where the frustration comes from, doesn't it? Now, I think you've got to get the balance right between you know, you can't go and get those right profiles, you don't want to go and fork out like 40 50 million on a 
I'll use this play as the example. He wouldn't be the Liverpool example because the water already under the bridge. But, you know, say Coutinho, who is a good player, uh, but maybe, you know, is everything right there? Probably not. Would it be worth just dumping 50 million just to get them in? To have that, you know, quote-unquote marquee player come through the door? Probably not. And that that Liverpool, in that sense, are probably better just keeping the funds as they are and, and working on a more suitable long-term Mahi San, but yeah, I can understand. I can understand why why there's a frustration because you, you'd probably summarise by saying Liverpool haven't really acted like one of the big boys in in the transfer market in comparison to to rivals, and there's a risk that it could come back to bite them. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the problem I think stems from just the strength of of City and Chelsea financially, and you could probably throw United in as well. You know, Liverpool's squad is compared to those, but in reality, I suppose in the wage bill it is, but in reality, in terms of what Liverpool can afford on the transfer market and things, they're not really on that level. So, to have, and if you look at the whole of Europe, the whole of, you know, all the teams in Europe, apart from maybe maybe Bayern Munich, it's, it's not normal to have two players in every position that are... Comparable quality. It's 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 quite a rare thing, you know. I'm not sure. I'm not saying it's not like a something to desire. Obviously, it's something that you can chase, but it's something that is, isn't really that. It's not achieved that often at all. And the, the teams that do achieve it are the teams that are absolutely mega rich. Um, Liverpool aren't really. Um, and I think you know, going back to the the rebuild thing that Liverpool are getting criticised for. I do think that there's. I remember I did a Q and A a while back on the show, and someone asked me about like you know when when will Liverpool rebuild or whatever. And I think my response was that Liverpool will, will just gradually rebuild under our noses to the extent that over a period of time, Klopp will feel the team. No one will even click on that the team's totally different to what it was because it's been quite seamless over time. It's this is under the radar almost. So if you look at the title winners that Liverpool had, you've had Wijnaldum, you know, you now have Thiago, you had Shaqiri, you now have Elliot, you had Lovren, you now have Canate, you had Lalane, you now have Jones, and you've also added Jota into that as well. So Liverpool don't Liverpool have regenerated somewhat since they won the league. Um it's just maybe not to the extent that people would like. You know, I do understand the concerns. I understand people who are who are worried and things. And what what what's your stance, Dave? Just on the on the argument that because um, a, a lot of the time people when they're speaking about depth and things like that, their main concern is they always say if you suffer a few injuries. What what what's your stance on that one? Is because. At least from a Liverpool perspective, apart from last season, which was a bit of a freak, it that's been a concern for most of the years since Klopp's been there, and it's only really hit us once in the centre back department. But other than that, Liverpool have never really suffered from the injuries that people have feared. Yeah, which is true. But then the problem is, it's always a vulnerability, though, isn't it? Like Van Dijk, no, no real danger in terms of injury record. You know, all looks very good. He has he has a freak collision where where he's taken out. I should probably better put it, but he's, he's you know he's taken out uh, and that leads to a season-ending injury. Um, 
and then suddenly suddenly Gomez gets another injury from nowhere that you couldn't predict it. And although I could I could never envision it it'd be as severe as it was last year because there was just so so much bad luck involved in that. How a better question probably, Josh, is how significant uh is the drop in quality if you take Salah out the team or if you take Salah and Mane consistently out the team for a prolonged period. You know, how how significant is that drop? Um and you'd probably argue it's it's quite high. Um and I think that's where the, the fear comes from because whilst the Liverpool are a very good side, um in terms of the absolute best, if you were to lose one of those two for a prolonged period, which we've seen can happen, although it's it, it, it's rare it can happen. Um, there's a vulnerability there. Uh, so I, I can understand the fears. The only way I'd try and counter it would, I'd say, well, you know, Betty, you could do that with any team, couldn't you? If, if they lose X, Y, and Z, then they're, they're going to be stuck. Well, yeah, but how often do they lose X, Y, and Z? You know, it doesn't It doesn't happen consistently, does it? We saw it with Liverpool last year because there was just a lot of bad fortune. Are they going to lose the front three again? Uh, sorry, I didn't lose the front three this season for a consistent, consistently long, long period. I doubt it. Um, it's it's always going to be an ever-present risk, though. And as you said, unless you had like two or three fantastic players for each position, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty tough to plan for. Uh, but maybe just having one more elite attacker would have would have eased fears a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, my opinion again is that Liverpool. Need the forward, in my opinion, just some, just some other attacker that that club could have could have lent on when when, when he wanted. Um, but what I will say alongside that is, I think if if there's one thing we've learned in the Premier League in particular over the past few years, it's that the wrong player is a lot worse than no signing at all. I think it's it's much better to make no signing than to get in the wrong player. You've only got to look at some of the business that our rivals have had to do in the past few years, unable to shift certain players. Like look at Alexis Sanchez, you know, William in Arsenal this this summer, Griezmann last night getting, you know, going to Atletico Madrid for a lot less than what Barcelona paid for him. Um, Sergio Aurier, you know, Spurs had to just cancel his, cancel his contract last night, just a mutual termination of a contract. Um, and the the wrong player can really set you back years. And if you get in a player who is going to be a nice attacking addition, but he's just all right, he's not that great or whatever, it can limit you further down the line when a player who comes available, who is who is great, you can't really get in because you've already filled the squad void. So take, for example, if Liverpool had got in this summer, say Daniel Marlon or something like that, but then next summer... um. I don't know, just complete spontaneous name. Say Kiesa becomes available or something like that, and Liverpool can't get him in because they already got Marlon in. Um, or Mbappe, you know, something mad like Mbappe or whatever. You know, Liverpool could be planning this big rebuild around the summer that Haaland and Mbappe move because when that happens, maybe there'll be a lot more funds dispersed throughout Europe for other clubs to buy Liverpool's deadwood and things. So. But I, want, I did want to flag that a lot of the time people forget that the wrong player is is far worse of a, of a situation than than getting in no players at all. You know, look at United when when it comes to waiting to get Sancho, waiting to get Varane, Liverpool waiting to get Van Dijk, uh, Chelsea experiencing that that period without 
with a transfer ban. And then when they come out of it, they know exactly what they need in certain areas. So, yeah. and that's on. what I was trying to say with Coutinho. Really, I couldn't think of another example. Maybe like Samalan was probably a better example. Just you know, bringing in a player to get a, you know that marquee signing in, but whether the would you know whether it'd be worth probably a big outlay, um, which could impact things further down the line uh, in terms of available cash for other transfers, wages, etc. It, it isn't worth it. Um, so maybe that's. What Liverpool decided to do, you know, not go down that route, even if it means they don't bring anyone in. Yeah, um, and just when it comes to rolling the back to, to the injuries thing, you know, if you look at the whole depth thing, the whole depth problem, people talking about if we have one or two injuries here and there, we're going to suffer. If Liverpool suffering an injury now in the centre back department, Liverpool should be okay because we've got four top centre backs and Nat Phillips now as well, who's just signed a new long term contract. <laughs> we've already had two games out. Of Andy Robertson, Simakas came in, did fairly fine. I thought um, in the midfield department, I think you could probably. I don't think there's much of a drop in quality, regardless of who's playing. Obviously, Fabinho was a, is a big player in there, but against Burnley, Henderson played that role and thought Henderson played it really well. We you know we flagged him last week. So again, in the midfield department, regardless of which trio is playing, obviously there's some discrepancy in there, but regardless of which trio was playing, I think the quality level's roughly similar. Um, in terms of Firmino, Mane and Salah, again, if if one of them's out, you have Jota to come in. The, the, the quality drop isn't that high. The issues would be, I think, if of the front four, Mane, Salah, Jota and Firmino, if two were injured at the same time, you'd have a problem. And if Trent got injured, you'd probably have a problem. But Liverpool will be aware of the chances of that happening, you know, given the whole data-driven stuff. Obviously, it must just be very low, particularly when it comes to the front four and two being injured at the same time. It must just be very low. Specifically, Salah. Salah's a, a huge player for Liverpool, but he's, he's never out. Never, ever out. I know something can happen, but what are the chances of it happening? Liverpool obviously know it's very small. In terms of Trent, it'd be nice for Liverpool to have a Simicast type player on Trent's side. Uh, just to keep the dynamic of the team and stuff. Um but any player who's got a similar type profile to Trent mustn't be anywhere near as good as Trent. Otherwise he'd be at a big club already. Some mm. players who were similar to Trent, you know, you could you could label Hakimi, maybe. I should have Hakimi, who's, who's at PSG, but he's just gone for 60 million plus. <laughs> um, so, although I understand the, the desire for a, a capable backup of a similar profile, if we were to play a capable backup of a similar profile for Trent, if he hasn't got the quality that Trent's got, he might not be deserving of that role in the team, in terms of being the, the primary ball progressor or whatever and taking all kinds of risks on the ball. I don't know. There's just loads of loads of different ways you can view it, isn't it, Dave? But ultimately, I think that Liverpool's squad is still fine. I think Liverpool's squad is good enough to challenge for the Champions League and the Premier League. Um, I think Liverpool are a forward short of being in a relatively ideal position. Um, but I understand the concerns around the frustration and stuff. Yeah, I also think there's just an element of enjoying new signs, isn't it? And if you don't yeah. get to enjoy that buzz, I think it 
I think it inevitably leads some fans to, to be a little bit frustrated, you know, and did enjoy the excitement of Mbappe, for example, maybe more than what he'd actually bring to the team. Um, although that would be a lot. So I think there's an element of that. I, I think you'll see in comparison to the responses last night, I think over the next week, you'll see that pretty much fizzle out fairly quickly um, as as the games start coming in thick and fast and people realise that the side is still is still a very good one. Yeah, I think people, I don't know if it sounds fair, but I think people are inclined to forget how good their team is on the pitch. And Liverpool on the pitch is still incredibly good. We've just seen them out, outplay, well, not outplay, but certainly compete with Chelsea for 45 minutes there until they're descending off and it kind of killed the game a little bit. Mm. Um, but in terms of the transfer window as a whole, and Dave, just for the last five minutes of the show, maybe just general thoughts on any nice deals that you like. One thing I did want to flag was uh, a player that I mentioned a few few weeks back when we did a scouting pod. I think it was it was Tune Coop Miners at... Yeah. AZ Altmar, he has gone to uh, Atalanta, which was price t- as well. Yeah, yeah. I was I touted him at the time for the move. He was pretty guaranteed to get a move this summer. Uh, so he's gone to Atalanta, which is interesting. Ozan Kabach has gone to Norwich, which is interesting. And Sven Botman, who I was flagging a while back as a potential centre back for Liverpool, Wolves tried to get him, um, but if that deal collapsed, apparently. But yeah, any deals you want to flag, Dave? Any interesting ones? Um, not yeah, just, I thought not just Premier League. Yeah. This can be Europe if you want as well. Yeah, I mean the ones that the ones I've been paying most close attention to. Uh, I've been the Premier League for obvious reasons. Uh, I thought Cucurella going from Getafe to Brighton was interesting because um, he's a wing back that I kept an eye on. It, it, you know, from with that Getafe side because they were such a high pressing unit and. Uh, he seems to have all the physical attributes to to kind of play within that. Um, I'm interested to see what Brighton have seen in him because for me, he, he doesn't really look like he's a player who suits the, you know, a possession-based side, which is what Potters are. They seems to be more kind of intensity without the ball and things. So I haven't looked. I didn't look at him much last year, so maybe there's been some adjustments into his game. But he was a player I think is a, is definitely one to watch because uh, the you know obviously they bought. Lamptey last season, then he had success in the wing back area. So maybe they've seen something that's one to watch. Uh, Vlasic going to West Ham is going to be a really interesting move. Obviously, he was at Everton, um, went to CSK Moscow, did really well. I think he should have stayed in the Premier League personally, but he's come back. I'm not surprised. I, I thought he would do anyway. And West Ham just look like they're doing some good stuff again, to be fair to them. I mean, they have actually paid a few bob, though. This isn't a you know a shrewd, low key kind of low value investments. It's up to thirty million with add ons, so a little bit of pressure on that one, isn't it, Josh? Um, and then who else was there? Uh, Palace looked like they've done done some good stuff. You know, giving nods to Palace. Got Eduardo in, didn't he, last night? Um, but yeah, you know, although they haven't started too well under Vieira, it wouldn't surprise me maybe. In a couple of months, once they settle as a squad, they, uh, they might start climbing the table and picking up some good points. Yeah, I mean, I was going to flag Palace myself. I really like that what they've done. Um, really brought down the age, but they've brought in some some capable players with, with, with fairly high ceilings and stuff. You know, Mark Wahey from Chelsea, really good centre-half. Anderson, who was good at Fulham last season and, and actually had the captain's arm on for a period. Edouard, as you said, from Celtic. Uh, Michael Elise from Reading, Will Hughes for buttons. Uh, 
So yeah, really good window. I'm not sure what their season will be like. I'm not, I'm not too. I don't, don't really have many opinions on Vieira at the minute, to be honest. Mm. Uh, probably need to read, read more into him a little bit. But yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you flagged West Ham actually because I, I give them a little nod before the start of the season as a little bit of a tip to to have a good campaign. And although you came out with the 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 relevant points that um, they've got Europe, which remains to be seen how much it'll knock them. I do think that they do look suddenly very well run, certainly when it comes to recruitment and a team on the pitch under Moyes. I think I've said before on this show, I think Moyes is arguably his biggest quality is his recruitment. Um, and to get in, although you've said they've spent a fair bit, I think they've, they've bought players who, in my opinion, A, look really well suited to their current team and their current style of play. And B, the players who are, are pretty likely to work. I, I think I don't think Zuma will go wrong by any means. You know, mm. I think Zuma will be a good sign. That's he's twenty six, really good in the air. Um, West Ham won't expose him too much by encouraging him to build from the back and you know play a dead high defensive line or whatever. Um, and Vlasic, you know, he's. He, there's a little bit of Salah in Vlasic, I think, in terms of, not in terms of ability or anything like that, but in terms of coming to the league, maybe not being ready to deliver, going away, becoming a bit more of a man, almost, coming back to the league and showing the league, oh, OK, now I'm ready. And there was a bit of that about Salah. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if Vlasic came back after his, after his productive spell and just kind of hit the ground running or whatever, because he's, he's good age, 23, and good player so yeah it'll be interesting to see how the season goes Dave um, there's one yeah, man just... that we probably should finish on go on uh, Ronaldo Ronaldo yeah Christ yeah. missed him um, uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it pans out uh, I think obviously he's still a, a goal scorer uh, United have got a good attacking infrastructure in place in terms of individuals maybe not you know as a, attacking as a unit, but they've got loads of Mavericks in the team who can create high quality chances. He could be on the end to finish them. Uh, so I can I can see how it could be a success, but I also wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't quite pan out as the hopes. It's uh, I'll be honest, Josh, I actually can't call this one. It could go one or two ways for me. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he scored 20. I, I really wouldn't. But I don't think he'll do that much for you know, transcending United to another level. Um, I tweeted a few days ago, I think he takes them from the fourth best team in the league to the fourth best team in the league. Um, for me, it's just kind of, it's just like they've got in a, a better version of Cavani, you know, because mm. he's another, another kind of striker who's really got really good movement, really clinically in the box. I think Cavani, though, does a lot more off the ball. Which is which is yeah, where exactly, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. he's Ronaldo's definitely more of a luxury. But I think United's problems are kind of well, they, they need a midfielder for a start. They didn't get one in. But I think more than anything, I don't think that they, they behave as a unit well enough. Um and I think you have to look at the coach for that. I think Solskjaer although I've said on this podcast I don't mind him. I don't think he's that bad. I, I think he's Certainly got an eye for how to build a squad and stuff like that. But when it comes to coaching the side and getting a side to behave as a unit, like Liverpool do, like City do, like Chelsea do, I just think United 
I think their ceiling is being limited by the coach, not by the squad, even though they need a midfielder. Um, so I think despite Manalo coming in and scoring a few goals, I still think they'll suffer from the structural problems that they encountered against Wolves and Southampton in the past two weeks. So I think they'll finish fourth still. But I wouldn't be surprised if United Manalo scored 20. Mm. But we'll leave it there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got through a fair bit there. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back next week. Be sure to tune in. See you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.